The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Tony Darn, and not to it but to do it, brother. Let's... Roll. In a world where Carolina Panthers fans have an insatiable thirst for Panthers news and opinions, only one podcast roars ferociously. It's the C3 Panthers Podcast. Yo, what's the deal, Panther fans? Tony Dunn here with the C3 Panthers podcast. A little impromptu type stream. We've been working it on the ropes in the background. So short notice here, 545, an abnormal time for us, but already got some people in the chat live hanging out with us. And today we're doing a Panthers mini camp rap with Mike K of the Charlotte Observer. And when I say rap, I mean it. Kick it over here, baby pop. And let all the fly skimmers feel the beat. Mm, drop. Hit it, Mike. Oh, no, nah, I'm just putting you on the spot. No, nah, I'm just kidding, man. You don't got to spit no bars, man. Welcome to the C3 Panthers podcast, man. And we just wanted uh well, thank you for your time and welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Beastie Boys, you know, starting things off. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I guess it's been a while. I guess we connected a while ago, but... You made me earn my Panthers beat writing chops before you had me on for this uh, first time as a Panthers beat writer. So I'm happy to be here. No kidding. We caught up with you in 2017 when you were covering the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then you went and uh, went to Philly, now in Charlotte. And my uh, before we get in, I got one question for you when it comes to the Jaguars. Does it isn't it crazy how weird people say it sometimes? Jaguars? Yeah. There's like, Jaguars, there's Jaguars, there's Big Cats, there's people just say Duval sometimes because they, so, they there's a, actually a running joke. I, I'll, I'll give you a behind the scenes thing. Joe Person makes fun of me all the time because I am terrible at pronunciations. Like if there's somebody that I, I'm not sure of, I have to find another way of pronouncing their name just like in person. Uh, I got to be better at that, but. Yeah. My thing, too, is when I say Jaguars now, is when I hear other people say it, people say it weird. And then when I try to point it out, I feel like I'm sounding weird saying it uh, just to continue to connect there. When you've got you said you have uh, you're bad at pronunciation. My stick, it's not a stick. It's completely authentic and genuine. I'll say I'll get someone's name like 80 percent right, but I'll get like uh, uh, like I'll flip flop the first name for something. So I have. Mm. Uh, I used to call Jacoby Brissett, Jacoby Forsett. Oh. Remember the running back? And I was just like, yeah. I knew who I was talking about. My friends are like, he's it's not a stick, folks. He's really confused. <laughs> so anyway, we're not confused today. We're here to talk about the Panthers mini camp, little OTAs. And we just wanted to, I wanted to pick your brain um, on some of the top headlines that are coming out or top stories coming out of mini camp as we wait. We've got a month about a month, uh, maybe a month and a week until training camp comes, it is going to be the doldrums of discussion. And uh, we're going to need some stuff to talk about and to read. So I suggest everybody goes to the Charlotte Observer and signs up for their 99-cent subscription and getting ready for training camp. We're going to get you primed right here. What's your number one? What's, what's on your burning mind? What's the number one story for you coming out of Panthers, OTAs, and training camp? Well, the number one pick, that's what there it you is. Go. I mean, when you, you know, and, and obviously I, I've, I've been a journeyman beat writer. I've been kind of all around. Uh, when you have the first overall pick or you draft a quarterback in the first round, that's the story. Because ultimately the success, not only of this year, but beyond is going to be on his shoulders. And obviously Bryce Young is a very successful uh, prospect I will tell you, I, I've watched uh, seven of his workouts, so two in rookie minicamp, 
three in OTAs and then two in mandatory mini camp. He, outside of maybe this last workout, he's made an incredible play in every single one of those workouts. His off schedule timing is a trademark trade of his. That's been on full display. I think he's very good at responding to negative plays, especially during mandatory minicamp. It felt like he struggled a little bit because the defense was a little bit ahead there, uh, which isn't particularly surprising, but OTAs are typically meant to favor the offense because you're doing a lot of installs. The offense can do a lot more things than the defense can. There's no contact, et cetera. But he seemed to struggle a little bit, but what was impressive about him is he would – make a play the next play like it wouldn't phase him he would connect on the majority of his passes and everything like that what I want to see in training camp all signs seem to point towards him being not only the guy who takes all the first team reps but named the first week starter the week one starter and a preseason starter so I want to see what the pressure is like once he is getting back to camp he's the guy everyone knows he's the guy hey you got to get prepared in these next five weeks for the season the size has been on people's minds since he was drafted, but we've continued to tell ourselves he is the the most prepared, the the guy that uh, has the sort of Luke Keekley gene to him when it comes to preparation and ability. I heard Doug Gottlieb talking about the N- NBA Finals, and he was talking about how Jokic isn't the most athletic dude, but it's like uh, the Tom Brady's. The joke is these guys, they're not the most athletic, but they have something special to them. They mm-hmm. have sort of characteristic that is innate to, innate to them. Is, are those characteristics palpable enough to make us feel better about his little size? So I think with the size thing that a lot of critics miss is he's got a very high release point. There, he is very easily able to avoid batted passes at the line. Everybody gets batted passes at the line. We right. saw three throughout this offseason program. I'm sure there were ones where we were away. But realistically, when you can see the field the way he does, and you can see it on tape, he, he his eyes stay high. He knows what he's looking at. Um, I, I think that that's a really strong advantage. If they're going to run a lot of RPOs, if they're going to run a lot of shotgun, the height is less – of an issue in my opinion that said what i'm worried about is durability yeah i mean if he gets hit like the first time he gets blasted we're all going to be waiting on bated breath well you know in college in my notes i wrote every single time he takes a big sack and what i mean is a big sack like a body sack it looks like a a truck running over a puppy like it really does kind of it is like visually frightening right yeah i I think that that's something that's going to be in the back of your mind until he takes a few licks you know during during live games and i think i think that's not going to go away until you see him bounce back up but what i will say is his quick processor allows him to not only move around the pocket to see things before other people do typically in the league but he's also relatively elusive he isn't the best athlete like you said but his elusiveness comes out of thinking quickly. And I think that that's been put on display a lot here uh, in the early weeks of his tenure. I'm interested to see what happens when the bullets actually fly, obviously, but I think facing the Jets and joint practice as the Observer first reported uh, last month, those are going to be really strong practices because he's going to face a different defense. He's going to face some high tempo practices and he's going to be wearing pads. And I think that that's going to be a really important predecessor to the preseason. Yeah. I'm a, I'm hundred percent with you is that the size is only concerning. if he gets like, you, you almost want to see him not get picked out of the ground, like uh, where he's like imprinted. All right. Or hit into row seven. He is right. like, so we are, I'm trying to temper I, my, my concerns aren't with him getting hurt. I'm trying to temper my expectations at this point of sure. excitement. Like, and how excited should we truly be about this offense? Now, this is the season for um, rose-colored glasses. This is the season of optimism for any fan base where we're all, uh, you know, we're all undefeated at this point. The Panthers, though, while we have, we've gotten a lot, we've gotten the super squad of coaches for, or this is the fan narrative, and I know you're very well aware of the fan narrative, the super squad of coaches. 
the offensive minded group of people, the young up and coming defensive coordinator seasoned veteran staffed as well. So there's a great balance. And then you get the number, the most impressive. They say if he was six foot two, he would have been, nobody would have questioned his capability. Uh, the guy that could be a distributor, the point ball. And now we're going the point guard, should I say? And then you get Boogie Sanders. Is it Boogie or Bo- Booby? Is it Booby Sanders? Booby. Yeah, Booby. Miles. Booby Sanders, who I think is a steal in fantasy football personally, because I think he's going to get a ton of work with the Panthers. But we've gotten some weapons, it looks like. But at the same time, we don't know anything about those weapons. Terrace Marshall Jr., unknown. Adam Thielen, old. Uh, Mingo, great upside. We love the pick, but we don't know anything. How excited should we be? Do you want to temper our expectations as fans on the offense, or do you want to flame the fire? I would temper them. Uh, I, I mean, t- look, <laughs> I, I, I think if you're looking at this as anything other than a two-year rebuild on the fly, you're doing yourself a disservice. I think the, the wide receiver group has depth. I don't think there's a guy who particularly scares the secondary. I think the tight end room's gotten better with Hayden Hurst, but I don't know that you can trust him to be healthy for a full 17 games. He's also never truly been the guy from the, you know, across the middle standpoint. He was a starting tight end in, in, in Cincinnati last year, but his numbers aren't terrific. Um, I do think Ian Thomas has improved with the new staff. I do think Tommy Tremble is going to be improved. I think Terrence Marshall is in for a breakout season, but a breakout season for him really is like 800 yards and four touchdowns. So again, I think this is, this is a group that's got to kind of learn and grow and, and do their thing. But I, I, I don't think there's a, as you can hear my kid yelling in the background. It's okay. I got three. Um, you know, I, I think, I think it's unfair to put the expectation of this team just blowing up the league. Uh, typically, you see quarterbacks take a massive jump from year one to year two. The way they've spent money, it's apparent that they think that this is going to be one long step in a two-step process. Um, I think when you look at the radical changes on defense, that's going to take some time to kind of get used to. They are converting a lot of players to new positions, and frankly, they don't have a ton of depth on defense. They don't really have a ton of depth on offense either. I mean, wide receiver, you know, everybody wants like every team wants four guys who can legitimately play in the league. They've got about six, but that doesn't mean they're the most talented wide receiver group. They just have guys who can play. And I think it's going to be an interesting feeling out process that first month of the season, especially with the way the schedule is because they're on the road a lot. And they have tough opponents on the road. It's not just road challenges. You're going to have to figure out what this rookie quarterback can do right away. And you're going to have to hope that the offensive line sticks together and plays well. I think the offensive line kind of overachieved last year. I think this team in general overachieved last year uh, under Steve Wilkes, which is uh, a testament to him. But I think now you're square back to reality and you've got to build on on top of that. This team to me looks like an 8-9, and and 9-8 team. And I think, Uh, I mean... That's kind of where I'm at. I so wish that you would have gotten to Charlotte about eight weeks earlier, because with the story you got, you said we were talking earlier and you said you got there in week four of last season. Mm-hmm. The story though, is that when we're coming, we've got PTSD went from when it comes to Matt rule. Sure. Um, but the story really, or the feeling we had was a complete, it looked like a burning building in the background, like that that meme of the person sitting in the fire, the dog sitting in the fire. You, we've, We felt sometimes that like maybe fans were exaggerating it and we were just being so like, you know, extremist, fanatical, like fans tend to be. But then the kind of, there was a headline that popped out recently that Tommy Trimble said, he felt like this is he's finally getting coached up. Can you just, yeah, that was my story. Yeah. 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 Is you, uh, you've, you've been with three organizations now cover the beat for at least three professional teams. How is the training camp, the OTAs and the mini camps felt under this super squad? Is it felt like, like particularly well-organized, Or is it just like everybody? I mean, look, I think Frank Reich's too nice. He's just like, everybody's awesome, dude. Nobody. Yeah, that's why Deuce Staley is here. Um, (laughs) 
So what I would say is this, they're extremely efficient practices. Like there's no wasted movement. Everybody does their thing. Like something that I was really impressed by, and typically in the league, you do this in training camp, but like the first OTA session that we were at, they split up the groups from the first and second stringers and the third stringers. Like they're, they made sure that the third stringers got reps. Matt Corral got a ton of reps off to the side with the deep depth players and then they had Bryce and, and Andy kind of, you know, going back and forth. And they did it in such an efficient way that they were added reps. You took advantage of your time. Frank knows how to coach. Like, that's not, like he knows how to run an NFL practice. So does Andy Dalton. That's part of the reason why you bring him in here uh, to show Bryce Young how to do it. And I think, like you said, you know, you've got guys like Josh McCown, you've got guys like Thomas Brown, you have guy, by the way, Thomas Brown, I think is the most underrated hire on the entire staff. You've got guys like Idro Ever. A lot of guys have been around very smart coaches. They've been around winning programs. That's really important. Jim Caldwell's there. Do Staley won a Super Bowl. Like there, there are people that are extremely tel- intelligent and time effective on this staff. And I think from a time effectiveness standpoint, uh, it was a very good OTA workout. I'm not going to say it's the best workout I've ever been to. I mean, Doug Peterson ran workouts very, very well. Um, despite the amount of vitriol he got on the way out, Doug Marone ran practices pretty well. Um, Nick Sirianni ran practices extremely well, and he is his biggest mentor is Frank Reich. So I was not surprised in the slightest by how these these workouts were managed. Why do you say Thomas Brown most underrated hire? This guy understands a ton of football. He's a guy who's played the game at the NFL level. Uh, He's worked in the college game in ways that I think will affect the way he's able to communicate with with players. Adam Thielen came out the other day and said he was the most impressive guy in the building that he met. Um, And I also think he's a guy who can understand both the passing game and the running game. He's been a tight ends coach. He's been a running backs coach. He's really, really smart. Um, every opportunity we've had to talk to him, he's kind of blown me away with how much he, he is able to explain scheme and thought process. And that's like a big thing with the current NFL player. They want to know the why of a play. And I think that's part of the reason why Matt rule kind of failed, at least from my limited interaction with him. Uh, I think Thomas Brown, there's no wasted movement in what he has to say or what he does. And I think, the, the the players have, have have really identified with him as a guy who understands the game, both from the player perspective and the coaching perspective. We took a lot of, um, I guess the word be soulless. We, we, we were happy with the way the offensive line played last year. The Panthers have had a long history of terrible offensive lines. And when we get one that's average or above average, we think it's the best damn thing ever. I mean, hell, we went to the Super Bowl with a damn average offensive line and because of a Superman behind uh, behind that line. But last year, a lot of promising things with the rookie left tackle. Iki Aquano played really well down the stretch. Bradley Bozeman comes in, uh, and he he really kind of – it felt like the line started to gel when he, when he stepped in there at center. But they also suffered some injuries when it comes to Austin Corbett um, and uh, Brady Christensen also had a late foot injury too. What is the sentiment? What do you think the real sentiment about the offensive line is in the building and from your perspective? Because I think we tend to fans sometimes are like, well, it was good last year. It's going to be good this year. Yeah. I mean, I think they're high on the offensive line. I don't think you take Bryce Young unless you feel like you have a, at least a sturdy offensive line. Um they made a surprising move in restructuring Taylor Martin, which basically guarantees in the next two years. Um, he's getting a little bit older. I think he's probably a top tier right tackle in like, like a, probably a top 10 right tackle in the league, maybe a little bit better than that. Uh, I think they feel good about him, even though he is getting older uh, and hasn't been extremely consistent. I think Icky, the, I mean, to the moon, they are, they are thrilled with what he showed. He, he was tremendous last year, especially after some early hiccups. Um, Bradley Bozeman's a guy who is very good at what he does, but what he does is somewhat limited. He is a power blocker. He is not, you're not going to run a lot of outside zone, zone read type of play, or you're not going to run a lot of 
zone blocking scheme with him. He's just not that type of player. He's like an old school grinder, knows you know, knows the grindstone kind of guy. So he affects how the guards typically play. The the tackles are are sturdy. You can depend on him. Awesome. They re-signed Cam Irving, who's a solid swing tackle. You probably don't want him in a game regularly, but he can fill in if a guy gets injured mid-game with a, you know, whatever. Um, at guard, Austin Corbett, in my opinion, was the most underrated player on the entire offense last year. I think from a right guard standpoint, he's terrific. He's also coming off an ACL injury. We know that he's going to miss time. He's probably going to start on the pup list entering training camp. That's not unusual. The guy who's been replacing him, they are enamored with in Cade Mays. Uh, Six round pick last year, really impressed a lot of people with his versatility, got some pullback snaps. He is a guy who I think has starter upside. And when you get to left guard, it's very interesting because while Brady Christensen was fine at left guard, he was clearly the least I'm trying to choose my words properly. He was probably the least productive of the five starting linemen towards the end. He was fine. Left guard, fine. Um, but I think Chandler Zavala, they've brought up a lot how much he's played next to Icky at NC State, and I don't think that's a mistake. I also think when you look at Brady Christensen, if you're going to run a lot of power blocking scheme, that's not really his game. He might be better suited at right t- at tackle. Right, which is why if they were to put him and Zavala in a competition at left guard, you could look at him as a swing tackle, which for one uh, gives you really good value because then you don't have to keep Cam Irving. And on top of that, you've got Zavala who's on a cheap four-year deal and he can grow with the offensive line. He's a guy who's played with Hickey before. I'm just telling you, Zavala has got really high upside of their picks uh, not counting Bryce, I think he was the best value pick that they had. I think that when you look at when it's all said and done, I think he's got Pro Bowl potential. He's a really good player. And as Sideshow Rob, who incorrectly brought up that uh, Torres Marshall is, is the Panthers' best red zone option, uh, he is correct. <laughs> Brady Christensen could eventually be a right tackle in this league. And I, I don't think he was a great fit for left. I think right tackle makes a little bit more sense. Um, but I think when you look at the way that they've restructured Moten, like he might not get the chance because by the time Moten's probably out of here, Brady's. Yeah. So, um, but I do think they feel really good about Mays and Zavala long-term Zavala was injured throughout most of, uh, the practice or he was injured throughout mentoring mini camp. And so he didn't really get to practice, but I'm interested to see what happens to that left guard, because I do think a lot of people have like this confidence in Christensen but I do know internally uh, they really like Zavala a lot. Last offensive question. You brought it up, Terrace Marshall Jr. I guess you were referring to Adam Thielen being the best red zone off, uh, option since he's only caught a bazillion touchdowns in the last 10 years. But Terrace Marshall Jr. is a player that all of us have we've wanted to break out. We were sold the hype for Joe Brady's offense and all of that, and then he's – just been in the doghouse with Matt Rule. must not have taken great notes, but he looks like he's really putting in the work in the background, committed himself, it seems, personally. Not that he wasn't committed before. I, and look, as people are talking about him, is the is the hype going to come with production this year, you think? Yeah, I mean, I wrote a couple of weeks ago that I, he's on, on the cusp of a breakout season, but a breakout season to him needs to be taken into context, right? He had like 450 yards and a touchdown last year. The touchdown came in a meaningless uh, effort against the Bengals. It was late in the game, whatever he need, what he needs to do to take his next step. And I know that there are people internally who feel this way is he's got to use his size to his advantage, which I think he has done a good job of. There was a play in particular against Keith Taylor, uh, during an OTA practice on seven on seven, where he just leaped over him. And it was, I mean, it was a spectacular play. Unfortunately, the next day, Taylor won that battle on on basically the same go route. Um, But uh, I think for Therese Marshall, the thing will be, can he play X? Because you've brought in a ton of guys who can play Z in the slot. And his body type, he's got the speed. He's got the size. I mean, if he can get off. He's got the hands. Why can't he? Right. So, well, I think it's it, it comes with the maturity of playing. And some guys, wide receiver is one of the hardest positions to play in the NFL. And some guys don't get it right away. As much as we love to look at Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and the 
the way. And I think Sean Jefferson's an excellent coach, another guy who was a very underrated hire on this staff. And I think you'll see Marshall and Mingo compete for a job. I think long-term they'd like for, for Mingo to be either the X of the big slot and Marshall to be the Z guy. But right now you, you're paying DJ Chark who can really only play Z effectively and then you've got Adam Thielen who can play X, Y, and Z, but you'd prefer him in the slot. So right. it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of all, you know, generate. I, I think Thielen will lead the team in touchdowns, I think receiving touchdowns. Um, and I think he'll lead the team in yardage. But it wouldn't shock me if he was like a nine and five guy. And Marshall was an eight and four guy. And then Mingo. That would be incredible. And then Mingo is like a six and three guy. And then you've got Chark is like a four fifty and and three guy. Like they're going to spread the ball around. Like that's something that Panthers fans really have to understand is that part of the reason why they haven't gone out and like gotten, you know, the top wide receiver, whatever they're like, Frank Reich is known for, for moving the ball around. He wants, and that's Bryce Young's superpower. Right. Exactly. Um, and so I think you're not going to see like really big fantasy numbers from these wide receivers, but I do think you'll see it spread around quite effectively. Um, Nick Sirianni did something very similar in Philly his first year. And I think you'll kind of see like a, like a player du jour or player of the week sort of depending on the matchup and depending on the scheme. I think there'll be a Hayden Hurst game. I think there'll be, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have games where we'll be like, Oh, that's the Terrace Marshall game. That's the, you know, whatever. Um, other than um, a few minutes more of your time, I do have sure. a personal request. Is other than we've first we've got a big audience on the impromptu with no advertisement. So the, thank you for that. Go check out Mike K's work at the Charlotte Observer. You can get your online subscription for just ninety nine cents. That's nothing, man. A dollar to help in the, well, not independent, but local media, the people that know these teams the best. My personal request to you, Mike K, is I'm putting a bug in your eye. I, I teach history for a living. Um, at a community college, I love to. I, I like to do this. I got into the podcasting because I got tired of arguing politics with my like with people, and I've just gone apolitical. I only talk about politics of the past, and I like to argue about how the Falcons suck. But I do write. I keep my you know one of my creative outlets is to just write some fan stuff for CarolinaCatChronicles.com, our website. And uh, one of the little stories I got working in the background. So if you could get me a soundbite from a coach or from a play or like somebody, just put it in your notebook for a long time down the road. Masim Muhammad, mm-hmm. his first three years in the league, who's, by the way, a Panther legend, Masim Muhammad. Um, he's also 6'2", 215, just like Terrace Marshall Jr. His first season... With the Carolina Panthers in 1996, he played in nine games, started five. He had 407 yards, one touchdown. His second year, he had uh, 27 catches, 317 yards, zero touchdowns. Year three, he had 68 catches, 941 yards, and six touchdowns. If we're talking about an 806 touchdown type season, which you, you, I didn't put that number in your head. You said it. I said four touchdowns. Oh, dang it. Well, that's crazy here, but yeah. But what I'm trying to do is, and I don't want to put a player who has not done very much in the realm of a great, but I want to track the comparison and the evolution of a player just because they haven't done greatness in your, like incrementally. Masim Muhammad improved to where year four, he was a 1,200-yard receiver, year five, 1,100-yard receiver. It's a side, I'm doing a side-by-side analogy of Masim Muhammad to Terrace Marshall Jr. Somehow we got a dovetail. We need a bite, a sound clip, a something, a note, an anecdote, something for this story and this trajectory. Am I reaching too far as a fan? I mean, it is. He's about to say yes. I, I would I never know, write those stupid stuff like this. Story ideas here. I, you know, um, I don't care, man. You know how people. You know how lazy people are. I can tell people to do everything, and they still wouldn't go write it. So it is something that I've thought about. Uh, what you said is not a surprise. If you caught my head going like this, okay. Um, but 
yeah, we'll see. Maybe Steve Smith will walk by and I'll be like, hey, who does Therese Marshall remind you of? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that's what we that. need. That's what but, we need. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's turn our attention to the defense. The biggest, with all the excitement, uh, Panther fans have rested their, or we've hung our hats on our defense for the last decade. We're really the entire creation of our team. If you think back to our first Super Bowl appearance, filthy defense when we started this podcast in 2013 seven, 60 sack defenses we've been a defensive team full of defensive coaches this is our first team of being an offensively led co uh, coach team but also really it feels like all the the emphasis has been put on that offense we are transitioning to a 3-4 defense they try to say oh it's not that big of a deal we're only in base package 20 percent of the time the questions are all surrounding the defense. And the only question I don't have about this defense is will Mike or will Brian Burns be re extended? Because the answer is emphatically yes. They have zero choice. They're going to have to do it. What should we expect from this defense? I, it's just unknowns to me, Mike. So the transition to a 3-4 is really interesting. The way that they describe the other pass rusher makes me think that they're going to run a lot of under fronts. And for that, I mean, you're going to get kind of a hybrid defense. They've been kind of choosing their words wisely with that. Um, they do have uh, – they did sign Shy Tuttle, who can be an undersized nose, but I, I'm guessing that he plays more five and three technique. Um, I think Derek Brown's going to be a guy who flourishes in this defense because it'll allow him to get upfield, but he can read and react and stop the run the way he is. He's agile enough to really uh, do some good things. Panther Pickle, I just want to give you a shout out. Thank you for saying that. I, I appreciate you subscribing to our work. Um, anyway, uh, I think they are going to be in really good shape from a starting group standpoint. My concern is mainly with their depth. They are very light at inside linebacker. I will say Shaq Thompson has completely exceeded my expectations in this 3-4 alignment. Okay, um, that's good Frank, to hear. Frankie Louvu has looked terrific. That's my um, player that I think is going to be the name we're saying all year long. Yeah, I think Derek Brown's going to be a guy who's very special, as I said. It depends on who they use at nose tackle. Marquand McCall is a guy that people should kind of start studying a little bit. He's a guy who fits that natural nose tackle position. Yeah. They like John Penasini, but he hasn't been able to get on the field, really. He's a guy that worked with Todd Wash in Detroit, retired uh, due to some personal stuff and had some shoulder issues. They're working him in. He's kind of like a, you know, coin found under the couch sort of situation there. Uh, they like Deshaun Williams. He's going to be rotated behind Brown and Chai Tuttle pretty regularly. Uh, at edge, obviously, that's the popular discussion. They did like Leonard Floyd, did not want to pay him what he wanted. He settled. For so there was some interest there? Yes. Yeah. We reported it back in April, I believe. that uh, A lot of connections to uh, Giro, right? Yeah. Because you're going back to L.A. and, I mean, just scheme yeah. fit, too. Yeah. And, I mean, that's why I think it's interesting, right? Because I get this question all the time about them signing a veteran pass rusher like Yanni Kingakwe, who I covered in Jacksonville and who worked with Frank Reich in Indy and Todd Wash in, in, in Jacksonville. Um, Gakwe's going to want more, and he's less of a fit than Leonard Floyd was. is like a pure like speed edge rusher, and if you're going to just sign that guy, you might as well go with Marquise Haynes, who had a dominant uh, mandatory minicamp last week. Like dominant. He was in the backfield. Like, really? Six-year yeah. guy. He reminds us a lot of a former Panther, Mario Addison. Guy yeah, took a long time to come around. Not a long time, you know, but a guy that has had to work their way up and turn out to be a good player. Well, he's a speed edge rusher, so he's not a guy who was going to ever be a read and react guy. He wasn't a guy who was just going to win with a bunch of moves. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to the bank on that one, uh, Sideshow Rob. Um, but what I would say is, is like you want guys in this defense who can grow with this defense. And I think they've very clearly shown with the trade of DJ Johnson, they want to go with a more effective, a cost effective standpoint. Uh, so I wrote a stock watch today, two guys that I think might not have fit the scheme as well as I thought they would have are Brandon Smith and Amari Barno. I think those guys, um, it was very easy to kind of unnotice them. You know what I mean? Like they, they didn't, those two guys that with their athleticism, without pads on, they should flourish. And I just didn't notice them really. That's crazy. Because they're so well, fast. 
Yeah, I mean, look, Barno is always going to be like a like a, a weird upside player. That's why he fell right. to the ground. I mean, he's got unreal size, speed, all that stuff. Uh, you know, three, four, you're going to have – there's a lot of technique to it. There's a lot of uh, scheme stuff that you have to learn. And look, maybe it's just early in the process, but I, you know – I would say the Camus Grugier Hills, the number three uh, inside linebacker. I think when Brian Burns is back, I think Marquise Haynes is no shorter than number three. And you, you, Gross Matos has surprised a few folks. Uh, you know, a third year the defensive end is one of those. And look, we all give up on, and the NFL too, the not for long league. They also give up on people a little too quickly, and that's why sure. I continue to say there's a demand for a developmental league. But um, while it won't make money, it's necessary. The point that i'm trying to make is that unless you're a, like a top 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 tier defensive end whether it be like uh for our history it would be a julius peppers or maybe like a jadavian Clowney or miles garrett that type of player it really feels like even when you're a great prospect it takes some time at defensive end to really work in i think of guys like in our past charles johnson year three i'm always looking at these defensive ends in year three to see, like, I'm not giving up on him. YGM, P- fans have, t- they hate the dude. They hate the guy. But it's year three. I mean, it's time to put up or shut up. Are the, 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 You're saying he's putting up right now. Yeah, I mean, I think he's doing the necessary work. No pads, work. though. Who knows? Yeah, I think he's doing the necessary work. Uh, an issue that I had with him pretty regularly is he would take the wrong, it looked like he would take the wrong gap or, or he wasn't very assignment sound. He is putting in work after practice. I think he's a guy who, look, he's a natural 4-3 end. If there were was a guy during the draft that I thought would have been traded, it would have been him. He has played 4-3 okay. since he was in college. He He's 265 and 6-5. He is kind of too bulky to play in space. But they've taken their time with him. And I I think this coaching staff doesn't want to rule anybody out. I think that's been kind of one of the like the the underlying traits of this is there's a lot of holdover talent that they are willing to invest time and education into. Um, And I think, you know, Barno was a guy who just from his athletic makeup and all that other stuff that I thought was going to be an immediate great fit in here. And so maybe they're going to take the patient approach, but I don't think they have the depth to really do that right now. So it's going to be very interesting to see some of these camp battles, especially if they bring in somebody, you know, they're, I don't think that they're going to make a splash signing at edge, but if they bring in somebody like Kyle Benoit or Carl Nassib, I think that that bounces one of the holdovers off the roster. I don't think they're going to be very like right now in my internal 53 in my head, I have them keeping four outside linebackers and four inside linebackers. And I think the young holdover guys are not as well positioned as they probably could have been had they not switched to a four, three, they switched from a four, three. I, we've always run a four, three in Carolina. So I've got a lot of learning to do um, as, as we go forward. Why do we have so many safeties and no corners? I mean, and then I'm going to ask that, and then the next kind of pivot question is that is how to, where the hell does Jeremy Chen fit in? Oh, okay. Actually, let's take that one first. Uh, yeah, because that's Chin, the that's a conundrum, man. He's like, uh, crack the code on Jeremy Chen. He's awesome. So Jeremy Chen is an extremely talented tweener player. That's the nice way of putting it. Uh, he played safety last year and was horrific. Like that, he was terrible last year. Terrible. Yeah, he was terrible last. He year. was nicked up on a bad team. Okay, so what would you say is an outside presence to that definition? Nick I would say his first two years, he was pretty damn incredible. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, I don't know how to evaluate a player when they're hurt, when they're struggling through injury, and they're amidst complete dysfunction. I don't think the, I don't think you have to, to put terrible on him. I think the production was terrible last okay. year. Fair? All right, I'll take it. Uh, I, I will say this. Complete 180 this offseason. Holy moly. Okay. So they've put him at big nickel corner. He has made some plays in practice where he wouldn't have made them last year. What is that when you say big nickel corner? And this is, you know, Shaq Thompson did that his rookie year too, who was very similar type player, kind of just a jack of all types of trade player back then. 
you know, uh, ask old, you want a little fun tip about old Shaq Thompson, ask him if you could throw him a curveball. Hmm. You know, he put, do you know he was yeah. a professional baseball? He, yeah, 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 he yeah. One for 36 because he can't, and he said this in an interview once. It was awesome. He said, I can't hit a curve. So, uh, but he played big nickel, I think his rookie year was very productive. Uh, Jer- what does that ultimately mean assignment wise? So you're going to play like three, you're going to play three safeties deep as opposed to playing three corners and nickel. Essentially okay. what it'll do is. That's why we have you, so many safeties. Right. It'll help you against the run in the fact that you basically have a linebacker playing nickel corner. Uh, nickel is, is has become probably one of the hardest positions to play in the NFL because you have to be able to tackle against the run. You have to be able to cover against the slot receiver who, where, who you can't press. And so you've got a lot of these responsibilities and, and you have to, be able to do multiple things. And I think what they're doing with him at big nickel is they're safeguarding the run while also allowing his versatility to take shape. And I think he looks healthy. He looks really attuned to what he's doing. And I think from an educational standpoint, the way the staff has kind of given him the, the ball to run with is, is really impressive. Uh, I think, you know, when you look at him and they go into dime, he'll play the dime linebacker role, which is good because you've got a guy who can play in coverage. He's not going to be great in coverage, but he can play in coverage. And then you would put in a more traditional nickel corner. The guy who has come up in conversations that I've had, Stanley Thomas Oliver is a guy who's impressed a lot of people. He's known as a special teams ace, was out most of the last year with an injury, but he's impressed a lot of people. Dante Jackson went out of his way to praise him the other day. Um, Jamie Robinson was brought into long-term be a guy who could play nickel and free safety and strong safety and kind of work around the secondary. They want to have kind of a positionless secondary, it sounds like. And so where you can use the depth that they have at safety, they don't have the most talented safety depth chart, but they have the deepest or one of the deepest. Most teams want four safeties that can play at the NFL level. They have at least six. So if you look at that as if you look at the Von, it's going to be really interesting. Von Bell is an underrated player in the NFL. I mean, he's right. been great so, everywhere. So Von Bell, he's probably going to play close to the line. Xavier Woods, while he can't catch a, an interception, is one of the best communicators in the league. He plays very well in coverage. He's going to play more free safety. Jeremy Chin's on that group. He can start if either one of those guys is injured. Um, I think the role would be a little bit different than than those guys if he had to fill in. On top of that, you've got Sam Franklin, who they like, who can play kind of everywhere. Jamie Robinson's a guy who can play in a lot of places. Probably don't want him as a, as a starter, but he, he can move around. And then you've got Eric Rowe, who's a veteran, who can play safety and nickel if you need him to. I think that's I, I think that's a really good outlook. And I think that's why you're seeing them favor safeties over corners, because getting corners that can play is really, really hard. A corner is, is a tough position to cultivate, especially from a depth standpoint. They really like J.C. Horn. They like Dante Jackson. They even restructured his contract to kick the can down the road. They've got C.J. Henderson. Um, like I said, Stanley Thomas Oliver is getting a lot of praise. Keith Taylor has been kind of up and down from the practices that we've watched, but it's early. Um, has C.J. Henderson even been there? Yeah, he has. He, he like, uh, Is he yeah. just there like in a daze? What's his deal? He, he was injured, like, I think the first week of OTAs and maybe the second week, but he's played since. I mean, he's, you know, he's quiet yeah he's cj henderson Uh, i see sideshow bob bring a rob sorry excuse me didn't want to call you by your other nickname you know um so rajon wright uh was injured he had hernia surgery that was a story that i broke earlier uh this week or last week um and so that was part of the reason why they think he fell in the draft um, but he's got really good size. He was obviously on last chance you, so he's got like a little small following there. But J.C. Horton and him have got a relationship that goes back a few years, and that's part of the reason why he signed here. Uh, he was also recruited by safeties coach Burt Watts uh, at JUCO and in high school. Um, so anyway, he was sidelined for like the first three practices of the offseason program, and then uh, he practiced a lot during mini camp and got some limited reps, and he looked pretty good. He looks the part. What's the real story with uh, J.C. Horn's ankle? Uh, I mean, he got injured in a workout. Nobody did really... he roll it. Like, what is it? Like, what That's is? What it sounds like he he was in a he was in a boot a few days before they announced it. Um, but I I don't have anybody who's act who actually saw the injury take place. 
My, I need you to find out another thing for me, and that is, and no one's answered it for me, and that is, was, and you might already know the answer is, was Dante Jackson's Achilles, Achilles injury on the same foot that he always has the turf toe on, or are they separate feet? I believe they're separate. Um, Compensation injury. Yuck. Hate that. No, we need these, uh, this, this secondary. You said... Uh, Keith Taylor, you know, there's questions there. How does this team go forward? I know everybody wants another defensive end. Is this just managed with what you got kind of on this defense this year? Yeah, I think so. And I think they want it that way. I think sometimes when you're going through a transition to a different scheme or you're going through a transition to a different staff, you want guys who want to be there. You want gamers. You want guys that can prove that they can be foundational pieces. And like I said, they're going to have a ton of cap space next year. That's when you're going to see them make more for the win moves. And I think right now you want to set a base here, but you, you know that you have like excellent players at, at every level of this defense, but you need guys that, excuse me, can be role players. And I think that that's, what they need to cultivate here. You know, if JC Horn or Derek Brown goes down, you're going to feel it. Like it's going to, you're going to see it. Like if uh, Shaq Thompson goes down or, or um, Frankie Lubu goes down, you're going to feel those losses. And I think they've got to get beyond that in order to do that. You've got to cultivate depth. All right, man. Good stuff. There is uh, final thoughts on this team as you get ready for training camp. Uh, what are you going to be writing about or thinking about preparing for? This is again, you've covered several teams um, at, around the league. And uh, as we hit this kind of, I don't want to call it a dead time. Look, we do we, look, people want and They want stuff. We have to manufacture it sometimes. And when I say manufacture not the facts in the news, but the discussion in some cases, what should we be mentally thinking about as we prepare to go to Spartanburg? And my advice to you, if it's your first time in Spartanburg, bro, get ready. That shit is the armpit of hell heat. It's just dead. And I'm from Eastern North Carolina, so I'm used to hot, humid. It's just dead heat, too. It doesn't. There's no damn breeze. It's just freaking miserable out there. We're just baking in the sun. Other than getting ready with our sunscreen and tons of water as we go out there and look at these practices, what should we be mentally thinking about and preparing over the next 30 days as we get ready to go to Spartanburg, North, uh, South Carolina? Well, now I can't think about anything else. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, you are going to be sweating, bro. You are going to be miserable, homie. Yeah. I mean, Just go I'm ahead and ready this, to shower twice a day. I'm used to this Jacksonville heat, but, uh, you know. We'll see. Do? We'll see. It's like a yeah. special dead heat. It's just weird, yeah. man. It's not fun. Uh, you know, I, I think the important thing to think about here is, you know, keep your expectations measured. I mean, I think a, an eight and nine, nine and eight record, even if they don't make the playoffs, is a really promising start for them. Oh, yeah. I, think, I think this te- the la- team last year really was a five win team that overachieved and won seven games. So I, I think if you look at it that way, if you get two games of growth from that, that's really that's important. I think easing the expectations on Bryce Young. I mean, he's going to make those plays. You're going to be really impressed when you see him in training camp. I just think you also have to remember he's still a rookie. Uh, I think this offensive line is good, not great, and I think this wide receiver group is good, not great. So you you got to kind of let him grow as it comes and work through that. And so that sounds far too reasonable. I, well, I'm a beat writer. I'm not a fan. So, (laughs) I mean, that's kind of my job, right? um, I'm being sarcastic. No, I know. But, uh, and I've really enjoyed this conversation, by the way, if you haven't subscribed already, you should, this is a great interview. Thank Um, you. Um, So look, is it we 30 days of, I mean, it's going to be hot. It's going to be hot. You'll be, you'll be ready for that. We'll be watching your work as the 53 comes out. We'll be looking to see. Do you think if if there is a move made, and there will be, there's always going to be some additions, sure. whether they're splash names like a clowny or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, again, would be temporary fixes. We're all waiting to see where DeAndre Hopkins fits in. We, I don't expect it to be here necessarily. But do you expect this team to wait until the training camp kind of time for that? you know, is like, uh, let the market just do what it does. Or could there be something in that next 30 days to get the guy 
that they think could add to this team ready for camp? It's a great question. And I wish I knew the answer, but I, I do think, you know, they're, they are, you know, they've got to keep track of what they're doing with Brian Burns. I think a lot of that plays into that. And I think, you know, there's some injuries here. You got, you got to monitor while Dante Jackson, JC Horn and Brian Burns are all expected to go for. They're um, all yeah. nicked up. <laughs> yeah. They're all nicked up. And on top of that, you never know what can happen in a rehab process. So, I mean, you know, corner and edge are the two most important positions, frankly, in this defense and they're light. So. And I mean, injuries I- determine everything in the NFL. How many great teams have been ruined by injury and how many teams have had success just because they had a healthy fucking season? You know, I mean, that's it. When you look at a team that does well, they just, their their line sticks together. The teams are there. All right, great stuff, Mike. Look, I need you to tell them on Twitter. I can tell them, Mikey underscore, Mike underscore EK, but you can also tell them where they can get you on Twitter and also why they should go to the Charlotte Observer and support Charlotte Media because they need that inside tip on the Carolina Panthers. Well, I think pre, pre-interview, pre we said we would do 15 minutes. It's We're at 51 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, I bring the Go goods. pay the man. I, I, you know, I bring the goods. Like, you'll see everything that I do with practice notes. If you can't make it down to training camp, you'll, you'll see they're extremely thorough. If you just look at my OTA notes, um, we're going to have a lot of really good deep depth features on a lot of your favorite players, a lot of the players you might not know or not know enough about. Um, you know, I saw a lot of Rajon Rondo or Rajon Rondo, <laughs> Rajon Wright uh, uh, fans on here. We just did a feature where he kind of explained his pre-draft process, where he's at in his rehab, all that stuff that you can check up on charlotteobserver.com. We just did a, a story on Bradley Bozeman and him becoming a father, uh, which by the way, somebody needs to hire his wife as a PR woman. Yeah, she she's, is just a mastermind of his socials. Yeah, she's she's great. Nikki's terrific. Um, but you know, you can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K A Y E. Sorry, it's the worst handle in Twitter, but you'll remember it hopefully. Um, and then yeah, like I said, sign up for the Observer. There's a bunch of stuff on my timeline right now. You can subscribe through that and. When it comes time for training camp, if you live in Connecticut or Wisconsin or whatever, uh, I can be your Or across the pond, like three people in this chat room. Oh, hey. Rich Kingston. Yeah, man, we got an international audience here. You guys can get the inside tip. Pay this man. I milked him for his time. And he won't get paid directly, but let's keep the damn thing alive. Mike, fantastic stuff. We're going to go ahead and get out of here. Thank you, man, for your generosity with your time. And I'll thank you again right after I hit uh, the end of this. Guys, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, live, C3 Panthers podcast, 9 p.m. You know the number, 252-228-5098. Call in. We're going to have a blast.